Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm a compliance evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to episode 416 of the FCPA Compliance Report. Today, I have back with me James Kukios. James is a partner at Morriston and Forrester, and we take a look at the firm's 2018 report on anti-corruption developments internationally. First, have you ever thought about starting your own podcast but really didn't know how? As you know, the Compliance Podcast Network is always on the lookout for some new podcasts. So if you'd like to consider starting your own podcast, please take a listen to our sponsor, One Stone Creative. If you are enjoying this show, you might enjoy hosting your own. As an expert in your field, you have skills, knowledge, and insight that can help you expand your practice, meet new people, and create amazing content to share with the world. In as little as two hours a week, you can dramatically change how you promote, fill, and position your business. And One Stone Creative can show you how. Learn more at onestonecreative.net. As always, when joined by James Kukios, I have a very interesting podcast for you today. We focus primarily on the international developments from December 2018. We take a look at serious fraud office prosecutions against Alstom employees from subsidiaries and how did the SFO fare. We take a look at new charges the SFO has brought in Petrobras spinoff investigations. We took a look at the impact of OECD report, which found lack of sanctions against bribe takers in foreign bribery cases. We consider the French court fine against Total for bribes paid in Iran as far back as the last century. And finally, from the domestic sphere, we consider the December FCPA enforcement action involving Polycom, but we take a look at it from the perspective of the Supreme Court's ruling in Kokesh. It's a great podcast, as always. James is a fan favorite of this podcast and certainly a favorite of mine. The FCPA Compliance Report is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode, and we have back fan favorite James Kukios, my fellow U of M grad. Uh, James, first of all, uh, Happy New Year. Welcome and go blue. Happy New Year. Go Blue. We uh, we, we had our first loss of the year in basketball, but it was uh, always tough to play in Wisconsin. So I think it's uh, good for the boys to get that out of the way early. I agree. And uh, you're absolutely right about playing up there. Uh, we're here to talk about the Morrison and Forster uh, Top 10 Anti-Corruption Developments for December 2018 newsletter. And we had some uh, very interesting developments in December. But one of the things that uh, Morrison and Forster has highlighted for us are some international anti-corruption cases, sort of separate and apart from the FCPA. So I thought we might really explore those, uh, as typically we we focus on domestic uh, anti-corruption issues, James. Uh, and if we can start with, um, on your list, uh, the Lithuanian uh, bribery schemes and the power company, uh, and it looks like the SS. SFO was involved. So what can you tell us about this case? Sure. So the there were two announcements uh, by the serious fraud office in the UK in December about uh, prosecutions involving Alstom subsidiaries. Alstom, of course, is the uh, French, uh, huge French company that does power and transportation projects. So subways, uh, power plants, things like that. And of course, uh, several years ago, uh, DOJ had a very large resolution uh, with Alstom here in the United States regarding several power projects around the world, including Indonesia. Um, and Alstom has also been the subject of other um, 
prosecutions and investigations in, uh, in other countries as well. And in fact, was noted when the uh, when France was reviewed um, by the uh, OECD Working Group on Bribery, they actually mentioned mentioned Alstom in particular because there had been so many um, uh, enforcement actions against Alstom outside of France. Um, this is one of those. Um, this is the uh, two subsidiaries based in the UK that um, the uh, the serious fraud office were, was investigating. The first one um, focused on the, the power business. And what happened in December was that the SFO announced that a former global sales director for the uh, boiler business in the UK had been convicted of a conspiracy to corrupt for his role in an alleged scheme to bribe officials in a Lithuanian power station and to bribe senior Lithuanian politicians in order to win two contracts worth 240 million euro. Um, they, two days later, then they announced that this gentleman had been sentenced to four and a half years in prison, which uh, I'm not entirely sure how long you have to serve um, uh, your sentence in the UK, I know in, in the US, of course, in the federal system, it's 80% if you have good time behavior. But um, anyway, you look at it, four and a half years is a long time in prison. And he was also fined 50,000 pounds. That's, you know, at least at a high level, not that dissimilar from what we heard about in the US action as well, where there was um, allegations, for example, that um, some executives paid bribes to Indonesian officials to build a power plant there. Um, a slight different different um, type of subsidiary, moving from power now to transportation, um, the SFO also announced uh, in its December 19th press release that uh, Alstom, uh, actually Alstom Power, sorry, staying with Alstom Power, that Alstom Power and two executives had previously pleaded guilty in connection with that Lithuanian bribery scheme, but had not been previously announced. That press release then went on to also talk about um, the transportation uh, subsidiary Alstom Network UK Limited, uh, which the SFO announced had been found guilty of one count of conspiracy to corrupt in April 2018, so actually uh, several months before, for making corrupt payments to win an 85 million euro tram and infrastructure contract in Tunisia. Interestingly, though, it wasn't all rosy for the SFO because they also announced that Alstom Network and several of its executives were acquitted of other bribery schemes uh, that were alleged to have taken place in Hungary, India, and Poland. So a very interesting announcement. Um, for if you're the SFO, both good news and bad news, and, and you have to commend them for, for uh, releasing the bad news as well. But basically, you know, the SFO had a little bit of a mixed record when it came to prosecuting the Alstom subsidiaries and their executives um, for form bribery allegations. Uh, and it just goes to show, I mean, I think, um, you know, these, these, these investigations take a long time to build. And especially in the, uh, in the UK where the SFO does tend to go to trial in these cases, they have a bit of a mixed record. Uh, it's much better over the last several years and they're not afraid to take things to, to trial. Um, but it is does show that uh, there's still some growing pains, perhaps, in the um, in the program of the SFO. Um, next up, James, uh, you had a case about one of our old friends, uh, Total, and they were fined by a French uh, court. But uh, the fact pattern seemed quite interesting, if not reminiscent of one we've seen before. You want to tell us about that? 
Yeah, and I think it is. Um, this is uh, Total, the French oil and gas group, and I, I believe this is related to the um, resolution that Total had with, uh, at least factually, to the resolution that it had, um, the company had with SEC and DOJ in 2013. Uh, it, just as a reminder, that was a fairly large resolution, um, a little less large now with the mega resolutions we saw in 2018. But at the time, it was quite big. The Total had agreed to pay more than $398 million to resolve FCPA charges back in 2013. And this is a, kind of a, another chapter in that story where um, a Paris court fined the company on December 21st, 2018, uh, 500,000 euros for allegedly bribing Iranian officials in order to secure a contract for an Iranian oil field in 1997. So uh, 21 years earlier, um, everybody always complains about how long uh, uh, foreign bribery cases take and the fact that there's such a a delta between when the alleged conduct happens and and when these things are resolved. And this is a pretty extreme example, 21 years um, uh, between the date of the alleged bribe and the and the sentence. Um, but according to the allegations, the company allegedly paid $30 million in bribes under the guise of a consulting contract to get this um, uh, uh, oil field contract. Now, interestingly, um, the French prosecutors did not get everything they wanted. So the court rejected their request to seize company assets that would were in an amount equivalent to the estimated value of the proceeds of corruption. The prosecutors had estimated that to be 250 million euro and asked for a, a what we would call a forfeiture award here in the United States. I'm not sure what the French term is, uh, but the court rejected that and only went for 530, 500,000 euro fine. So James, um, I guess the the thing that obviously the striking thing is the amount of the fine. Uh, We had in 2018 a case we visited on um, Societe Generale, where we had a a major French effort in both investigation and enforcement around uh, anti-bribery, anti-corruption. Do you see this case as inconsistent in any way with what the French court uh, may have done in Societe Generale, or or is it just two cases stand on their own feet? Yeah, Tom, I think they stand on their own feet. The uh, the Sock Gen case obviously was uh, was very notable in, in large part because of the new French DPA regime and things that have happened subsequently in French law. This one, as we just discussed, is a very old case, um, which was you know resolved before those things were available. So I think it's um, it's uh, there's a little bit of apples and oranges, um, and it may just be because of the large. Delta in in time when these cases were actually resolved. And next up, James, we had a report from the OECD, and uh, it was a uh, a report where they uh, criticized or at least raised the question of whether public officials accepting bribes in OECD based uh, from OECD based companies um, ran the route. Uh, this is something that I think we talk about in the United States quite a bit. In, in the context of the FCPA being designed as as a uh, demand side, excuse me, a supply side law. But here in the United States, certainly, we've got a plethora of other laws which allow uh, U.S. prosecutors to go after public officials when jurisdiction attaches. Uh, what did you think about this OECD report? Sure. So I'll, I'll confess um, at the outset that I, I really like OECD reports. 
anybody who reads the top 10 knows that we always try to include um, OECD reports in here because I think they're just a wealth of information um, about how different countries approach foreign bribery enforcement and their legal regimes. Uh, you learn a, a ton. They're really a crash course on some really detailed aspects of international law um, and procedure. Uh, and then occasionally they do reports like this where they kind of step back and they they survey the foreign bribery enforcement landscape from a, from a broad or not a countrywide level, but across a OECD um, country level. And that's one of these. So very interesting findings from my perspective. Um, basically, what the Working Group on Bribery did here is that they looked at um, all <clears throat> excuse me, um, um, cases in which OECD-based companies had been punished for foreign bribery between 2008 and 2013. And there were 55 such cases during that five-year window. And the OECD wanted to see... Um, were the public officials who are allegedly involved in these bribery schemes also punished? And what the OECD working group found was that in more than half of the cases, um, countries actually did um, begin investigations against their officials who were, um, were allegedly bribed. And I think that's probably a positive um, development. You know, obviously, it'd be better if it was 100% um, to try to combat the demand side of foreign bribery. Um, but, you know, a lot of times countries are reluctant to, pr to prosecute their own officials. Uh, as you mentioned here in the, in the United States, we've decided for the most part that we should not, under the FCPA, um, prosecute foreign officials because of the um, potential uh, political ramifications of doing so. Um, and so we, as the U.S., rely on other countries to go after their officials as a general matter, of course, not always, but but oftentimes. So I think the fact that um, uh, the OECD found that over half of the countries or in over half of the cases, the countries where the officials were allegedly paid the bribes actually opened up an investigation is a is a positive story. Um, the negative story from the OECD's viewpoint, though, is that um the the rate of punishment for those um, crimes, alleged crimes, was much much lower. Only one fifth, in only one fifth of the cases, were the the bribe takers uh, actually punished for those um, for those uh, alleged wrongdoings. So uh, interesting that the report also looked a little bit into what may be some of the causes of that record. And one thing that they found is that although there's been much made about the international cooperation on the supply side, and of course, we've seen that through the OECD, OECD member countries helping each other out and prosecuting bribe payers, the working group found that there, there was not the same kind of cooperation on the demand side of foreign bribery. In other words, countries were not helping other countries prosecute their own officials. Um, and very interesting as well, the OECD found that the better source of information for the investigations into public officials was actually the media, uh, that the media in the country where the bribe was paid um, picked up on the enforcement resolutions and reported on them, and that information was used to kick off investigations of the foreign officials. So very, very interesting. I mean, uh, Obviously, media is a great source for DOJ and SEC to open up um, investigations as well on, on the uh, in other countries as well. 
Um, but it's interesting here to see that the media actually plays a larger role in these kinds of prosecutions than international cooperation does. So, James, uh, I was wondering if we might end today's podcast by looking at one of the FCPA cases from December 2018, and that's the the Polycom case. Um, I really don't want to explore the kind of the facts of the case, but I wanted to take a look at it from an angle that I don't think has gotten, frankly, uh, either enough or perhaps even any play, and that's the Kokesh angle. So I was wondering if you might uh, remind the listeners uh, what the Kokesh decision was and how you see that as a part of or perhaps not a part of the Polycom decision or enforcement action, I should say. Yes. So historically, the SEC had taken the position that there was no statute of limitations for disgorgement because that was an equitable remedy. Um, That's actually set out in the FCPA resource guide um, that the SEC takes that position. And several appellate courts had actually agreed with the SEC on that. But in June of 2017, the United States Supreme Court disagreed and ruled that uh, disgorgement was subject to the five-year statute of limitations um, set out in the general statute of limitations statute um, for civil resolutions. Um, And there's been a question since then, um, how would the SEC react to the Kokesh decision? Would would they stop trying to disgorge money going back more than five years? Would they come up with creative ways to approach that? Uh, In my view, although it's not said, I see the Polycom decision as an alignment between SEC and DOJ to fill that gap. Uh, What happened in Polycom from just if you look at the the resolution standpoint is that the SEC reached a resolution with the company that alleged misconduct from 2006 to 2014. They then uh, agreed that they would disgorge um, uh, about $16 million, uh, sorry, about less than that. It was a little over $10, $10 million plus a civil penalty plus prejudgment interest. Um, and it looks like that, that 10 or $11 million disgorgement was limited to the, um, to the alleged misconduct that fell within the five year statute of limitations. DOJ then went forward with a, uh, with a, um, a, a declination with disgorgement of its own and asked for additional money uh, that presumably uh, covered the entire period of the alleged bribery and then credited back the SEC portion of the disgorgement. So what I see happening here is SEC and DOJ decided that this company had made um, illicit profits for a longer period of time than the SEC could reach. Uh, but the SEC couldn't reach it because of Kokesh. So DOJ would step in and say, we'll give you a declination, but you've got to disgorge the profits for the entire time period. Um, that That's a very creative solution where it shows that the SEC and DOJ FCPA units are very highly coordinated and working together uh, in FCPA resolutions. Um, not all, Not necessarily great news for corporate defendants or individual defendants as well. I mean, you, you would like to think that uh, you'd have a, a more of a argument on the defense side because of Kokesh, but now we see at least in FCPA context, DOJ and, F- and SEC are going to work together to, to try to limit the ability for companies and individuals to raise those kind of um, those kind of defenses. And so I see Polycom is a very 
instructive case uh, on how companies and individuals should approach DOJ and SEC um, with respect to statute of limitations issues. James, do you see this uh, bringing greater certainty around this process or does it go the other way? No, it goes the other way. I mean, we always knew, I mean, I think most observers knew that SEC wasn't just going to um, fully go away on the Kokesh issues. And and my experience with SEC is they've been, as frankly, as aggressive as ever. Um, and it doesn't seem like Kokesh has limited them too much in the FCBA context. So uh, I think this is one of those examples where uh you, you never know what DOJ and SEC are going to do. There could be a case where DOJ believes it's not appropriate to use its discretion this way, but um, it's it, it sort of rather than a company feeling pretty good that you're going to be able to limit your, your damages to five year period. This almost in some ways extends it for as long as DOJ has the company under a rock as well. Well, James, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time, but I've been visiting today with James Kukio's partner at Morrison and Forrester on the firm's most excellent uh, top 10 anti- international anti-corruption developments for December 2018. James, I can't wait to see what you guys come up with for January 2019. Happy New Year. Thanks, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. Please remember, if you'd like to start a podcast, I'm always looking out for some new podcasts on the Compliance Podcast Network. We've got Great Women in Compliance. We've got Popcorn in Compliance. We've got a Sports and Compliance coming on, and we've got Forensic Auditing with Jonathan Marks. So if you want to throw your hat in the ring and start your own podcast, please let me know. I hope you'll join me again next week where I have another guest relating to FCPA Compliance on the FCPA Compliance Report. Thanks again for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.